Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Glad you are with us, both myself and my co-host here. We're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. We spend our weekdays with people like yourself, helping them plan their finances, and we uh, broadcast this program on the weekends to be your financial advisors um, on the air or through your head po- ear pods. We put it in a digital format. You consume it any way you want. There, there we go. That's, we got a great program lined up, as usual. Uh, we think. <laughs> we think. We we do think. Yes, we've got some. We'll take some calls and got an interview with uh, regional director at Allworth to talk about what not to do and what to do during when the markets are down. So the, you'll want to be part of that. And if you want to join the show, eight three three ninety nine Worth is our number. Eight three three. 99 worth. Love to take your call. And let's actually just get right to the call. Okay, there we go. We're in uh, California talking with Susan. Susan, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of questions, of course. Um, so we are, we have been uh, working our hardest to accumulate what we need to retire, and we plan to retire, my husband and I, um, towards the beginning of this next year, 2023, January, February. And let me, can and I ask so you real quick, Susan? When you said you've been working hard, was there a time, like as a couple, where you said, okay, now our focus is on re- saving for retirement, or is this something you've done since you were newlyweds? Well, um, kind of in the middle, uh, we are just about married 30 years now, but it's um, a second marriage for me, and we both brought a lot of debt to the marriage. So first you have to, like, work on that, and then uh, we had to get moving because we were, you know, in our late 30s when we got married, so it was time to get it going. That's got why. It. Okay. Just curious. And what yeah, well, what do you have saved? First, how old are you? I'm 67. Okay. And how much do you and your spouse have saved? We have saved in various things. Probably, well, I don't look at things when the market is down. So uh, (laughs) we were at about 1.2. So I'm imagining we might be a tad under a million, but that's exclusive of our house and and whatnot. And the home is paid for. Do you truly not look at it at all? Well, every once in a while, if there's a little bit, you know how there's all the oopsies like, oh, this could be the bottom. Oh, this could be the bottom. Then I'll go and I'll look and just see. So what does it look like? Okay. But I'm not, I don't want to, I do nothing to increase my anxiety. And Perfect. I do believe that we have enough, enough hanging around money that, um, that, you know, if it takes, even though we're going to retire, if it takes six or eight years, we can pull that off. Okay. And is your spouse of similar age? Okay. All right. And so your question for us is? Well, I have two kind of because I'm trying to figure out my questions both revolve around shifting from accrual 
to, you know, not taking yourself out of the accrual game, but kind of having some protections as we move from working people to non-working people. Okay. Ready? Yep. Okay. So um, my first one is about uh, EFTs, and um, I just have been doing those for quite a while, and they've, uh, you know, just because it's been such a good market, they've done well. And so rather than take all our money out, because we are what you guys would probably call pretty aggressive. Um, so I was I was thinking about using the stop loss feature so that we could still if the if we when we get there, the market's going up or even if it's wherever it is, we can just look at our tolerance, put the sell at this time little brackety thingy ding up and then just let it tr convert it to cash okay. rather than, you know, all of a sudden turn everything into a different way. And what's your second question? And our second question, well, they're all mine. My husband's awesome, but he just hates all this stuff. So he just <laughs> okay. says, good job, Susan. Anyway. Um, but uh, so the second one is that when you do keep a big enough emergency fund that you can weather this uh, market volatility, it just hurts my heart that it doesn't make any money. And I know you've heard this a lot, but my latest idea that I have implemented is because I-bonds are, are making good, uh, relatively good, I mean, not considering inflation, but whatever. I've Every month we're doing kind of like laddering I-bonds so that by the time five years comes, we would have relatively liquid cash, but it would still be making some money rather than just sitting there looking at me. And, and how much do you have in emergency funds now? About 100000 Okay. So let's, uh, uh, let's, let's, uh, let us ask a couple questions here. Um, sure. The, uh, your, your, your home is paid for, correct? Yes. And will you be yes. either of you or your spouse be receiving uh, pensions? Yes. And how much they're will those little, pensions? Uh, they're small but mighty. Uh, his is from a school district, and um, he's already taking his. He's a retired annuitant, um, and he gets about fifteen hundred a month. Okay. And mine is from being a civil servant way back a long time ago, and uh, mine's about. 1300 a month, but the good part of mine is that he and I both get uh, free medical, dental, and vision for life, except okay. for obviously what you pay to Medicare and all that. Junk. And so it's 1300 a month, so it's like $15,000, $16,000 a year. And how much will you be receiving in Social Security, the both of you? The both of us will be uh, receiving about $6,700 together. Okay. So we're at, what is that, 80000 a year, round numbers? So we're going to add all those things up. And, and you're waiting until age 70 for that, Social Security? No, actually, I went to your thing, um, your your Social Security thing you just had, and I did that thing where you make the things cross, and it looked like if we waited, it we weren't going to get that much more. Oh, okay. So that that pulled up our retirement. We were going to wait, but no, we're, we're on now. So you have $114,000 a year in income. How much are you going to need to live on? Um, it's, well, I just am looking at, I mean, we could do it on a lot less, but I'm going to guess we're going to be at about 90,000 cause, or maybe 80, cause we've been putting in 26,000 or okay. I have in my workplace and okay. all that kind of stuff. So that so goes away anyway. 
you, between your your pensions and your Social Security, it's going to meet all your retirement income needs. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So let's step back for a second. Um, okay. Your portfolio may not be too aggressive. Um, and by the way, emergency funds are for people that are accumulating. There's no such thing as an emergency fund. All your money is now an emergency fund. <laughs> Because yeah. it's all 100% liquid. You can get at it. You're over age 59 and a half. I would make the argument. You mean the, the point of an emergency fund, something happens and you, your paycheck, the idea behind it is have some money in case the paycheck's not coming in. You're sick. Your family member's sick. Something happens. big expenses you can't afford. Unemployed. Yeah. So you have no longer have emergency money. Much like you no longer go on vacation, they're trips. Um, because you can only go on vacation when you're vacating from somewhere else. You now go on trips. That's actually when clients, you really know that they've adopted the lifestyle of a retiree is when they stop referring to their trips as vacations. So your portfolio, um, you, you're right. You shouldn't be looking at it. If you're comfortable with the allocation, you obviously should be looking at it to understand the allocations. I mean, we, we run our portfolios through a screen on a weekly basis to make sure that they're in tolerance of what the objectives are. Um, here's, I, I think the stop loss, so the, yeah, so yeah. the answer to Let's, the two <laughs> questions was with the use of stop loss and emergency So here's fund. how the stop losses work. They don't guarantee a sales price, right? So let's say you have a security that's priced at $50 a share and you put a stop loss at $40 a share, which what this means is that there's a trigger point if the security falls to $40 or below that, it triggers an open market order, which means it's going to be one of the next orders filled at whatever the market price might be. So let's say it drops to, you put your stop loss at 40 and it's screaming down and it says, it hits that trigger, says 40, let's trade. And the next trade is at 30. What is your trade at? 30. 30. So it doesn't guarantee you that, number one. Number two, the challenge with a strategy of stop losses is, okay, that might be a trigger for you to get out when things are declining, but what's the trigger to get back in? And what happens if you blow through that stop loss and then come back up the same day? Some sort of flash crash. Mm -hmm. And it's happened. It's happened quite a bit. So- the difference between for the rest of the particularly if you have an ETF of a maybe a smaller issuer and someone does a big block trade and the, something goes haywire and it, yeah so let's which has happened um, so an exchange traded fund and a mutual fund are almost identical other than the fact that one prices at the end of the day well not all of them now they can price interday and an exchange traded fund you could trade it like a stock other than that eh, for I mean, all intents and purposes they're about the same they're about the same. Most ETFs are passive. They're index funds. Yes, but there are active ETFs mm -hmm. as well. So um, the idea of using the stop loss is it's, it's, it's a bad idea. A, a, okay. a, a better approach might be to say what income or what assets might you need over the next, say, five years for whether it's for trips or a new vehicle or whatever and make sure those dollars aren't tied to the stock market at all. And then anything beyond five years, say, oh, that's my long-term money. Even though I'm 67, this is my 77-year uh, or 87-year-old uh, money, right? And so have that long-term perspective on those dollars. So in your situation, you, look, you, 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 
you say you're not that sophisticated. You're a pretty sophisticated yeah, investor by understanding your own reaction to your portfolio, which is you said, I don't want to cause any undue stress. If you had your portfolio 70-30, I think that would be or appropriate. Or even 80-20. I would think that would be appropriate as well, including the cash in that. Yeah. And I don't know why you're messing with these um, I-bonds. Just go out and buy – like. Just go out and buy one-year treasuries or two-year treasuries or, or tips, right? You don't have to this, – this monthly thing, you don't the need challenge, it. You get, I mean, the, 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 you're creating more, more work than you need to do. A lot do. of work. Um, so leave $20,000 in a high-yield money market account. Take the other 80, invest it in one of the three things we just talked about, and then make sure the portfolio is either 70 30 or 80, 20, depending upon, you know, the, your risk tolerance. And I would look at the coming years uh, next year as to see whether you should be Roth conversions or not. That's the financial planning <laughs> aspect I would take on there. But I think you're fine. You've got more than enough money to, to – and I would spend every dollar that came in off those pensions and yeah, social don't security. save any of it. Don't save any of that money. You're going to want to save it. Because that's your nature. That's why you have these dollars saved. But And you were in debt. Your story was like, I was in debt. We fixed our debt, and then we built ourselves up. And now you're going to you're gonna have a hard time transitioning from the accumulation phase to the distribution phase. Just telling you that well, right now. Me, yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, but also, we both kind of – we've been titrating down on our work. You know, I don't work full-time anymore. And uh, and as I said, my husband retired from the uh, school district, and he's been going back and working as a retired annuitant. But you know that there's a cap on how much money you can earn when yeah. you uh, go back like that. And so, um, and I'm fully uh, pulling the plug coming up here. And you know, but we take, but everywhere I work right now, like we take super, you know, five weeks here. Good so many weeks there so um definitely that whole trip thing is so why are you planning on, why are you planning people. on stopping that at 2023 yeah why 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 are you stopping work completely because i am becoming quite aware that all the things that you want to do or that i would like to do because you know like i said we married later i we already had children we did all that you know i've been since i was 20 doing kids and blah blah and, um, you know, in terms of just having time to to explore and um, immerse and all that kind of thing, whenever you take on uh, uh, work projects, you know, if you're like us, it just you just flip that switch, you know. And so I don't want to necessarily flip that switch. Anymore. I'm with you. Are you in the are you in medical at all in the medical field? I'm well, kind of um, medical adjacent, we'll say. Okay. Um, I, I'm a psychologist. Okay, because you use the word titration, which is very rarely comes up in. <laughs> I don't even know well, that word. Well, it has to do with psychotropic medication. <laughs> That's right. So, yes, you're correct. <laughs> That's right. And I'm like, because you very I'm looked at you like, where did you get this from? <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> you very rarely use the word. You, I don't can't remember the last time I've heard the word titration in a conversation. So I, I like where you're going with this. Um, I like where you're going with this. Just, you know, and you may want to decide to actually hire a financial advisor to manage your portfolio just so that you have the confidence that it's doing what you need it to do. Um, 
And then next year, look at the Ross and spend every dime that comes through that doorway uh, from your Social Security and your pensions. And and the 401k, just 70-30 or 80-20, and you'll be fine. You've done a great job, Sam. You, you and your husband uh, should be proud of yourself. Oh, well, I appreciate that. That's kind. It's never easy. It isn't. It isn't. I mean, and you, as you tell the story, you kind of rebuilt. And, you know, that's, you know, we all write our own story. Yeah. Wish you well, Susan. Well, and that's the thing that's wonderful is going, um, being able to, it doesn't matter when you start writing either. I mean, I know you have to save and all that, but, you know, there's there's always a method to rewrite your story in a in a positive and supportive oh, I mean, is it? I mean, <laughs> coming you, from you, a good look, I was talking to a, uh, I appreciate this, uh, I appreciate the story um, and, and appreciate the call. I, I was talking to a friend of mine. He, uh, well, a friend, I knew him in high school. And, um, <laughs> Were you friends in high school? Yeah, we knew each other, but you know, I never went to his house. And okay. um, but um, he had called me and said, you know, I own this business, and um, you know, we have some friends in common, and they, and I'm going through a couple challenges in business, and you know, can can you? So he called for some advice. And called for some advice. So I said, okay, what's what's you know, give me a story. How did you start this? And he says, well, when I came out of prison, I said, well. All right, you kind of got my <laughs> so, attention here. You didn't know this about you. I, I did. I had friend. heard that he had some issues. He said, "When I came out of prison, I uh, uh, he said I had uh, I had gotten involved in drugs, and I was a drug dealer, and I went to prison for many many years. And wow. when I came out of prison, uh, I worked for a company uh, rebuilding trucks, garbage trucks. And he said I've kind of figured it out, and I started my own company, and now I buy." old garbage trucks from large places like Wakes Connections, and I refurbish them down to the engines, the whole thing, and then I sell them to small municipalities or small garbage trucks. And he said, I've got 15 employees, and yeah. he says it's dirty work, but I really couldn't get a job doing anything else because – and then he talked about his sales and marketing, and I said, my gosh, uh, talk about rewriting a story. America loves a redemption story. Yes, we clearly everyone. Well, I actually think I don't think it's America. I think it's universal. Uh, loves redemption stories, and I was just like, "You." Well, you, we all have things we need. To do well, right? <laughs> Some of them more challenging yeah. than others. So I just thought, what a you know, at the age of fifty, the guy rewrites his story, and what a great story it was. So, and what is what is the advice did he want from you? How to set up his four hundred one k? He he did ask uh, when he wanted questions about, and you know what I. Told him to do is to go find a. He lives in a different city. I asked. I, I said you need to find a like a retired businessman's group and find yourself uh, two good senior mentors that have run small businesses that you could bounce things off on a weekly basis. A mentor. There's plenty of those guys out there. There and are gals out there. Oh, and they and they will give it your all. Yeah. All right. Let's continue on with calls. We're talking now with Charles. Charles, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey, gentlemen, I just have a quick question. If you think it makes more sense to spend the money to remodel your current house that we're living in, to increase square footage, add a couple of features we want, or does it make more sense just to sell our house and buy one that already has the specs we're looking for? Oh. Or is there plan C? Do none of the above. Oh. None of the above from a financial uh, standpoint is your best option. Well, actually, which one is the one you're most likely to stay married through? Uh, that's the one right. we would do. Um, some people call it a remodel. I always call it a marriage test. Um, My wife wants to remodel because she really likes our location. I just don't want to go through the big headache of 
doing that. And uh, also, I wouldn't mind buy another house a little closer to work anyway. So I would just rather buy another house. But she is right. We have a great interest rate. And uh, well, that's a I big imagine factor. our taxes would go up with a more expensive house. That's a so. factor as well. Yeah. How old are you, Charles? 38. How old's the home that you're remodeling? It was built in 2000. Okay. And what's the value of the house? About nine. And what do you owe on it? Uh, four hundred. And what if you bought a? What, how much is a remodel going to cost you realistically? Realistically, my neighbor just re. We have the same style house as our neighbor. We have a daylight basement because we live on a foothill, mm-hmm. um, underneath us, and he added like a whole second house underneath. So he spent about a quarter million to remodel. But I, I'm I hope to keep it under two hundred thousand, maybe one fifty to two hundred, but. Prices are all over the place right now, so it's hard to know. And then, what would if you were to uh, sell this and go to uh, the house you wanted closer to your work? What would that cost you? Uh, about one point two, one point one. That's a push. And what's the interest rate on your on your mortgage? Two point three. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you find this? Is, this would is, you this take is, a, look? This you, is why the housing market's gonna. This is why things are slowing down. It was just announced a couple weeks ago as the fifth month in a row of declining home sales. There's this situations like this. Charles, like, there's a one big factor is it's got this phenomenal mortgage, 2.3%. Yeah. And he'd have to refinance into something significantly higher. And how would you pay for this remodel yeah. with a second mortgage? You know, that that's a great question. My neighbor did a construction loan. Uh, he's a physician. He got a special doctor's loan that he had access to. Um, and that's <laughs> another thing is exploring financing. I don't know if you have any recommendations, whether it's better to go with a HELOC or... Well, you would. You don't uh, need a construction loan. You've got enough, enough equity on your, in your house I would do that a, you would do a second HELOC. or a HELOC. Or a second. Or a second. They both act because your more your first is just too good. Yeah, yeah. So you don't. You, and by the way, I don't know. I've never heard of a physician special con- no. construction loan. Sounds like a marketing ploy, if you ask me. So what you want to do is leave that first mortgage alone. You don't need a construction loan, y- either a HELOC that you convert into a second or just a full on second that you so prepay. The, when the, the only way it would make more sense economically for you to move economic, purely economics, is if the home price appreciation in the future is greater in the neighborhood you move into than the neighborhood you're in. So let's assume that the neighborhood you're in is tired and going downhill for whatever reason. And the neighborhood you want to move into is, I don't know. I mean, just and, and is there, there, is there a hurry to get this done? No, no. Uh, I think you're, I'd stay and um, I'd stay. I'd how much money, wait. how much money do you have in cash? About a hundred and ten thousand. This story gets saved up so far. Better and better. Your story gets better and better. Continue to save up as much money as you can. And do you have kids? Yes, we have a six and an eleven year old. So, like we we remodeled a couple years ago. Uh, I wanted to move. <laughs> My wife did not want to move. Actually, the story gets a little more complicated. I'm not going to tell the whole story. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> it's only an hour show. <laughs> and it wasn't, and, and I, Dr. Laura's not here to, <laughs> to counsel us. Uh, but we moved out. Yeah. We moved out for like four months. Just, 
it and, just made it that much easier. Yeah, and, and, and just factored it as part of the cost. I've I've done this twice, remodeled houses twice, and both times I went through exactly the same exercise that you went through. I actually went and looked at new houses in a neighborhood that we would live in, and then looked at the cost there, looked at the cost of the remodel, looked at the neighborhood I was in versus the neighborhood I was going to go to, and both times. Uh, I landed on the remodel partially because uh, I didn't – I like the neighborhood I live in and I didn't want to meet any new people. I just – I've got enough friends. <laughs> I don't I don't want to meet anyone new. Um, so in your situation, because you have so much cash, um, because you don't have to refinance that uh, the first, you, you're better off doing a remodel. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be in a hurry. I would, I would like slow this play supply this. chain. Like it's fixing itself. Like the like the chip manufacturing, which is a big issue for electronics of all sorts, right? Appliances. Uh, I mean, that was already starting to take care of itself before Congress just threw billions of dollars. They're going to just throw money at these chip manufacturers. Yeah. To, but even in construction that was, that was supply chain, because of the fact that you're not competing against new homes anymore. Um, the the supply chains are opening up. Uh, prices will drop. I mean, it's a supply and demand market. Um, y- you'll find that labor will be much more affordable six months from now, in my opinion. Obviously, anything can change, but labor will be much more affordable. Contractors, you know when you'll tell whether you're going to get a good bid is if you ask three contractors to show up and they show up on time, you know it's the right time. Yeah. It's It's the right time to remodel. I wouldn't be in a hurry. You've waited this long. I would save up as much cash as you possibly can. That way you're not refinancing at a higher rate. I, I would remodel. I would as well. Yeah, we're looking to pull the trigger in uh, June of next year. Perfect. our time frame. Perfect, 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 perfect. I like it. I like it. Okay, and you don't have to move right. the kids to a new school yeah. or any of that. You don't. You personally don't have to meet any new neighbors. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we we've lived in uh, the same town for almost thirty years. Yes, and I ran into we're at dinner. I ran into this woman, a uh, couple, and when we moved in 1995, we moved in the town where, and she lived a few doors down and brought over some flowers and a bottle of champagne. Liz Davis. Oh, I remember Liz. 1995. Ran into her and her husband, and I thought, and I thought, I I just I said, I, every, I whenever I see her, I think how sweet that was. And I'm like, we've been in the same neighborhood a long time. And frankly, I kind of like been in the same town. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway. yeah. There's been so <laughs> Electric vehicles have been, um, and are, they like in the news all the time. And there's there's so many electric vehicles, that com- new companies that have popped up. Like, I see these cars, like, what's the name? Like, my wife says to me, what is that? I forget which one it was. She had never even heard of the company before. Here's this new car. There's like you wonder. First of all, how many of them are going to survive the next five or ten years, twenty years? Tesla obviously will, but some of these other new startups. Who knows? And we've talked about this on the program before. Wait, wait, wait. Can you stop for a second? Why did you say Tesla obviously will? Why is that obvious that Tesla? Will survive. Just the, the market share they already have in when it comes to electric vehicles. Uh, understand, but they're but um, and maybe it's their distribution system that takes them down. And their distribution. Well, their lack thereof. I mean, it's a challenge. It's a lack right? thereof, and the service behind it, and and the incumbents that are in the industry already that have moved into it 
um, that have. I'm just saying that nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fair you, enough. You use the word obvious. Fair enough. It's not obvious. It isn't obvious. Highly probable. I'm going <laughs> to grant that. I'm going to. I'll give you oh. that. But it might not be in existence a hundred years from now. That's As right. Most and it, com- and, public and, and if the stock today. craters at any one point in time below certain value, then you could see a hostile move from someone like Mercedes or or Volkswagen right. or Ford or Chevrolet actually move in and. Okay, now we got off the subject, but yes, because I was trying to make a segue, <laughs> okay. building it up here. Uh, this the truck company, Nikola, electric trucks, and this was a big story a couple of years ago. The the uh, stock price, well, the, what the company valuation was, what thirty, forty billion, something like that, massive uh, for trucks that hadn't even been sold yet, and. This was the truck company where they made a commercial with the truck moving, going down the highway. But the truck wasn't even operational. This is a semi-truck. This isn't, this is like a big product they're trying to promote. This isn't a pickup truck. This isn't a Toyota, Toyota Tacoma. Or a toy. Yeah. Right. This is a semi. Yes. So they bring it to this hill. They brought it to a hill had it roll down and then film it and made it seem like the truck's cruising down the highway. It was cruising truck. down the highway. It just but, wasn't under its own power. That's great. It was It yeah. was using that power that we all know of called gravity. Alternative energy of <laughs> gravity. <laughs> gravity. That's now our new alternative it, energy. It is there. <laughs> you get the <laughs> well, That is the concept between hydroelectric, right? It's all gravity. It is gravity. And I've been told that sometimes they'll pump the water back up during the non-peak That's times. right. Right in the middle of the and night. Recycling. In the middle of the night. It acts like a giant battery. Like a giant... Okay. <laughs> All right. Gravity is an alternative form <laughs> right. of... Anyway, so this... They, they had these ads out for that. Well, Trevor Milton, the founder, one of the founders of the company, um, he resigned in disgrace <laughs> um, uh, after the report came out. And now he is... Um, being prosecuted. A maximum sentence of 25 years, although they don't expect to, that he will get that much. Um, it's amazing things like Why? this. It's, it's like, a, it's like the ther- Theran- Theranos. Theranos. Theranos, yes. Theranos. Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth who's going Holmes. for a second trial now. Yeah. What a fascinating book that was called Bad Blood. I read the book as well. I liked it. Um, so he took a lot of money out of the company. He got rich off of it, and now he is saying that the things he did and said, people didn't quite understand. <laughs> he didn't. So, wait a minute. That he was, that he, the client acted in good faith. His lawyers say, the client acted in good faith and didn't intend to defraud any, anyone. Mr. Milton might have used terms like prototype, functional, show car differently than some investors understood them. What? So he so prototype. Yeah, there's actually there's no motor behind under the hood. We're just rolling it down the highway because it's a prototype. Functional meaning it's functional. It's got wheels. It's going. Yeah, it's driver in there steering. Show car looks good. <laughs> right. We could pitch it. So he used these terms in um, in ways that some investors understood them differently than some investors understood them. So was this a SPAC, the special purpose 
acquisition company, Scott? Was it a SPAC? I think it was. Yeah, because it went public in 2020. So the, and the he things- became a multi-billionaire, bought a 32 million dollar ranch, which was the most expensive home in Utah at the time, and a Gulfstream jet. So the, we talked about this when these were coming out. They were all, all the rage. This special purpose acquisition company, in which people put money in them without actually knowing what the intention was, and then that company would then go out and acquire company. So you put money into a blind trust basically and said to the people starting this, go find something, go find something to invest. I'm betting on the investors here, not on the particular company themselves, but the investors themselves. Most of these banks are dead are dead. Yeah. They were, they were conflicted. So, most of these, you don't even read about the SPACs much anymore. It, yeah. There was a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump's SPAC had, they threw more cash in to, to, to delay the time on it. Yes. So the reason we bring this up is fad, 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 fad. There will be another fad <laughs> in three years and it will all be around a certain. And you might year. have friends, neighbors that are getting rich off it. They telling you're crazy not to invest in this. Yes. Yeah. And, and by the way, look, the, the, if you want to invest in electric vehicles, you can buy any pretty much auto company right now. And it, the, the bulk of, um, their R and D money is actually going into electric. I, I got to tell you, the irony right now is um, living in Northern California, which I've spent my whole life in California. I grew up in Southern California. Mandating no no gas powered cars in twenty thirty five. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. What there's not enough <laughs> there's not enough energy now. You mean in a week later? It was the same. Yes, a week later. They're telling you, please don't charge your car between 4 and 9 p.m. or whatever And that bothered you. Just imagine your business partner, Pat McClain, having dinner with a bunch of business people in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> that was <laughs> happening that day. That, that day they came and said, don't charge your car. <laughs> and Evan has a field day with you. For, it, for a good 10 minutes. Like, explain to me how this works, Pat. <laughs> You know, and we're sitting there at the obligatory financial services steakhouse, which I don't understand at all why I have to eat at a dang steakhouse just because I'm in the financial services industry. But that's where they have the meetings and they rip on me for 10 minutes about, you know, tell us how you can't buy an electric car, but then you're not allowed to charge one. So, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so I sound that. like a fat cat. Complaining about eating in a steakhouse. Was that <laughs> probably? <laughs> you, know, a- you know, life's pretty good. Were you complaining? I'm not that guy, though. I'd much rather go to pizza. I would much rather, if you said to me, let's go eat at Morton's or let's go eat at so I, Domino's. I had a few like- months ago, a large financial services firm, one of the executives was out. And I'm thinking, ah, we're, we're going to go to some fancy dinner, right? And so I'm talking about where we should, might want to eat that night. And he said, uh, I, I really like uh, like local beers. I said, perfect. So we went to just a little pub, brewery, local brewery, and had burgers and fries and a beer. I much more enjoyed that. Yes. Than, uh, anyway, but my point is, life is pretty good. When my family, the discussion about dinner is not, are we going to be able to eat 
a full meal tonight? Do we need to ration some for tomorrow? It's where are we going to eat or what should we cook or? Yes. Yeah. Like um, in, in the history of the world, um, regardless of how bad it gets in America, we are still, you know, for a population, still most of the developed countries in the world, in the, as relative to the history of the world, you, you can't get much better, regardless of what everyone thinks their problems are. As a yes. population. What's the problems are between our two ears, though, are they not? As a population. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, at times like this with extreme volatility in the markets, you look at flows, which is always fascinating, just... When what are flows? When it's the money that that go leaves one financial product and goes to another financial product. So we saw this year when the market started to decline, money started coming out of stock funds, going into savings accounts. When things start, when they we had a bit of a things pop back up, middle of the year, money started moving back into those stock funds. Prices come back down, they go out of, it's just like this forever cycle. So we had asked um, Brian James to join us. Brian is a regional manager with Allworth out of our Cincinnati market, and he was kind enough to join us. So, Brian, thanks for taking a little bit of time here. And what, what we want to find out what to do and what not to do during down markets. Sure. So the first thing we need to do is exhale. Uh, and then inhale again before we make any rash decisions. But yeah, these, these kind of markets that we're going through right now, this is no fun. We, we've we, we've seen it before, but that doesn't mean that, that it becomes fun the next time it happens when the markets do these kinds of things. Three steps forward, two steps back. That that's how life works, and we need to resist the temptation to try to try to change things. So one one of the things people should not do, the worst thing you can do is draw a line under some imaginary dollar amount of your financial assets and declare that any deviation below that line has somehow become a failure. <laughs> we, we all tend to do this, but that's like saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and brick up my house, to, my windows on my house today because it's raining and therefore the sun will never shine again. That's well, not, okay, naive but, to think, yeah. So, but it, it, taking a counterpoint, so I, I recall years ago, I had a client had a small business. It was a new business, kept bleeding cash, Every quarter kept bleeding more cash. And I remember telling the guy, you are going to have to get a point where you're going to quit. Like you're continuing to throw good money after bad here. And if you don't, if you, at some point, if you don't draw that line in the sand, you're going to find yourself bankrupt and you're going to bl blow through your entire retirement. Savings. All right. So I, Ryan, I've never heard that, uh, what you've said there. So I would expand that to just say, on but a it's well different. diversified investment portfolio. It's well, it's different here because we're not talking about throwing money in a in a in a losing business proposition. Exactly. So, Scott, that what you're referring to is a non-diversified portfolio. That gentleman had most, if not all, of his net worth tied up in one business. Well, he was if taking his diversified it, portfolio, <laughs> which over time would have done well. Business. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so live off of yeah. So if as long as you have a well diversified portfolio, say it again. This line in the sand that what we pick a number. Yeah. If you're talking about a well diversified portfolio, you've got stocks, bonds, you've got large cap value, you've got small cap growth, everything in between, a little bit of everything. Then the worst thing you can do is draw a line under your portfolio and say if it declines by ten percent or twelve percent, then I'm going to get out and I'm going to wait on the sidelines because there are ample examples uh, throughout history, throughout a couple centuries of history of that being a bad idea. The market goes up, 
not down over time. It was only eight, nine months ago that we were at an all-time high, right? That was back in December. People will look at that, and they'll say, oh, my gosh, we're at an all-time high. That means it's got to come down. Well, eventually, yes, but that's part of the process. But remember, since the market goes up, not down, it spends most of its time at an all-time high. That should not be all that scary of a proposition. And it can continue to go higher from there. But anyway, you know, the point is, don't don't look at it and say I must fix it if something drops. So Can't Brian, it, the drop. you, you know, know, so it's coming. here's what's it, so I I re, I picture these clients right in my my mind right now. They're both their faces. Uh, this was during the financial crisis, oh eight. Um, he would call every free month, every few months, like Scott, should we get out? Like, no, we should not get out. <laughs> and he was diversified and had. I don't know what percentage outside of the stock market, 35%, 40% maybe, wasn't even tied to stocks, right? And this is in 08. 08. He kept, he'd call every couple months. And finally, he, it was in March, early March of 2009, right before the, we hit the bottom, like within days. And here's what he said. He said, uh, my wife and I, we went and calculated it, uh, where we're at. And he said, based on my port, where my portfolio is right now, we can we can manage to live live the rest of our lives, but if it goes any lower, we cannot. To your point, the line in the sand. And so he said, "I want to have out of stocks completely." This is right days yeah. before the bottom. Missed and the did entire. You ask him if he took inflation into account in his calculations. Yeah, well, but, he, but you don't. It was an emotional decision at that point. Of course, correct. And he had already beat me up for the three times before when he asked to get out, and I somehow convinced him to stay in. <laughs> right, so. But Scott, so I asked you the question. So as an advisor, did you make a mistake and not try to um, – uh, you tried to use logic as Brian is in order to argue against it. Would it not have been better to lower his equity exposure a little bit or do you I think, think it we probably mattered? already did. I don't recall. That's typically – I mean look, <laughs> one of the things advisors often do is do a, a little bit to placate somebody so they feel good. The same way a doctor will give a prescription even though he might not think or she might not think it's necessary at the time, but it's like, that's eh, a bit of a placebo. So here, you know, it, and it's like that some of the times that's, that's necessary, a small tweak here or a small tweak there. Um, but not a hundred percent of clients follow advisors advice a hundred percent of the time either. Right. That's a, got it. So Brian, right. and for the last 15 years, we've, we've been in a situation where mostly the market has gone up and there hasn't been much to talk about. So as an advisor, your, your client interactions are mainly about, Hey, your, your, your portfolio is at an all time high. What are you doing this weekend? What cool vacations do you have coming up and all that? We earn <laughs> our money during times like this, where it's time to remind people that remember all those times we talked about, we both acknowledge that uh, things fall down and eventually we'll have a pullback. Well, this is one of those times. This is what it feels like. I didn't like eating my vegetables when I was 10 years old, but now as a 48-year-old, I know it was a pretty darn good idea. It doesn't mean I did it, though. But at the same time, this is the same thing as eating your vegetables. This is eating your vegetables for adults. It's time to ride these things out so that you will have a plan that will succeed not just in the next couple of months, but for the rest of your life. All right. I'm, I'm with you. So are you, uh, you know, I was at the gym. It's hard to believe, but yes, most people thought my gym burned down. But I was at the gym the other day and a gentleman walked up to me and said, you know, is the phone ringing off the hook? And I said, not, n not my clients, not me personally. What are you hearing from the clients, Ryan? 
Yeah, sure. What we're hearing in the phone is not ringing off the hook, but people will call it and they'll question and they'll say, should we be doing anything? And the answer is, well, we've already been doing things all along. You and I, Mr. and Mrs. Client, talked about your financial plan. Here's what we're going to build now in the good times, and here's what it's going to look like when we have the inevitable bad times. We know they're coming. We just don't know when. Well, it turns out that was the first half so far of 2022. So here, Mr. and Mrs. Client, here's what we illustrated a few years ago. We decided, the three of us agreed, that yes, you, you'll be fine through this time period. Well, now here it is appearing in your financial statements, and guess what? You are still fine. Not because we predicted the future, but because we simply took into account that it might happen, and you saw it before, now you're living it. So the, really, the, the phone is not ringing off the hook. I, I agree with that comment there completely. Um, we're simply reminding people this is, this is what you saw. And yeah. because we've already talked about it, most of our clients, are they're not happy, but they're fairly it, calm about it's, it. It's the cost of excess return over risk-free assets. So appreciate – That's how you explain that. <laughs> What's that? The cost – what What'd you just say? I said – this volatility in the market is the cost of a return over a risk-free asset. The price that we have to pay. That's There's the no price. such thing as a free lunch. The price we pay for returns greater than what the bank pays is is over a risk-free asset, which would be a bank or you know U.S. Treasuries, short, short, short U.S. Treasuries is volatility. That is. One of the major components. So appreciate. And that price uh, is calculated in dollars as well as stress. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> I appreciate your uh, being part of the team, um, Brian, yeah. and appreciate your insight. Yeah, I appreciate it, Brian. All Thank right. You. Thanks for being here. Thank you both. It is a really interesting. Um, it's hard to be a good investor. It is. Because when things are going up and up, it doesn't feel like we need to be, like, why do we have this stuff in here that's not doing well? Like this. And when things are going down, our natural tendency is to like, oh, we need to protect. We need to run from danger. Got to protect ourselves. Yes. We're designed that way as humans. Yes. So we've, we've survived yes. <laughs> however many years we've been on the earth. But uh, yeah, but it's not easy. For sure, it's not easy being on. And, but, and I think one thing, you know, any good advisor re reminds themselves that's like, these are individuals and families' lives that are at stake for making the decisions. And I mentioned that the client of mine back in the financial crisis, like when they came back a couple of years later, a year or so, wanting to know if we should add some more stocks in the portfolio. And at this point, I'm like, I don't know. What if the thing turns south again next week? Yeah, and, and now I imagine you had them in a pretty moderate or to begin with a portfolio to begin with. So. All right. Well, um, it's been good having everyone with us. If you like this podcast, please give us a review on it wherever you get your podcasts. Where do you listen to your podcasts? Uh, mostly Spotify. Yeah, me too, Spotify. So, um, My music's all Spotify, too. Yeah, mine is as well. And I, you know what I like about it is like, I'll listen to a band, I'll listen to the radio of, the, of that band, find another band that's similar. Listen to that, oh, that for a while. It's almost like they use some sort of algorithm yeah, that does kind weird. of. Uh, actually, uh, it does. But have I the found same my form. my music um, taste has broadened They're quite around. a bit since. Uh, and I walk around the house with a. Uh, oftentimes, I'll be out in the garden and I'll keep my phone in my pocket. My wife's like, "Could you turn that pocket noise off while we have a conversation?" I walk into the house and I will be listening to a podcast, and she uh, calls it pocket noise. And you say, 
This is much more interesting than you are, <laughs> no, my I, dear. I turn it. I try to remember to turn it off before I. She asks. My me wife's got the watch that her her texts come up on. Oh. And so you'll have a conversation with her, and then you see her looking at her watch. Oh. And I'm always thinking, what? What is it? Is that like that urgent? I mean, somehow we survived for <laughs> millennial without <laughs> something on our wrist. That surprises me about Valerie. That, that she has one of those. It really does. I would think that she wouldn't like care to return a text. I guess that's Apple rewiring our brains. I don't know. Anyway, I've got well, a lovely wife. Let's uh, let's wrap her up. So yeah. uh, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.